working. It has started. And so let's get ready to, to just open the word of God. Let's study together. This is a unique study. On Monday nights, we actually are going through a book called Education. And we're taking the principles from the book Education, comparing it with the scriptures. And what's actually happening is we are developing a gospelpreneurship mindset that God has created us to be producers and not mere consumers. And to be productive in our society today, we have to go back to the original plan. And so we're going to be talking about and implementing uh, the principles, particularly today dealing with the children of the chosen or the chosen people of God in the Old Testament, making the application for our day. So before we get started, because I'm not smart enough or intelligent enough to communicate the realities of the gospel, I'm going to ask if you don't mind and bow your heads with me as we ask God for the gift of his Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your love and mercy. We thank you, Father, for not giving us what we deserve, but giving us what your dear son does. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity that we have now in this relative time of peace, because this time in which we live, though it is, has its moments of anxiousness, there is a greater challenge still ahead. So we ask, Father, that as we take this time, that you will write your laws in our hearts, that we may not sin against you, that we will honor you, that your name can be glorified. Father, thank you for being so patient with us and so loving. And as we open the word of God, we pray for wisdom that is beyond our years. And we pray this in Jesus' name and claim the merits of his blood. Amen. Amen. So just as a review, I mean, on Monday nights, we've been dealing with this idea of gospelpreneurship. We've been looking at this great plan of salvation. And we've been walking through from the creation of man to our day and looking at how God, God's original purpose in the creation of man, God's original means in the development of the education of men. And as we've been looking at this, we have been seeing God's intent. And so what I want to do, I want to go back for a few moments. I want to review because it's been a couple of weeks since we actually dealt with this subject. And I want to bring us, bring us up to speed. And so let's do that. I'm going to bring up my, my old slide from a previous study. Let me do that. And I'm going to share my screen so that you can see exactly what we are delving into here. So, all right. So you see my screen, considering the education of the chosen. Now, the last time we were dealing with this idea or principle of gospelpreneurship, we're looking at the development of the totality of man. Body, mind, soul, socially, spiritually, intellectually, financially. God wants us to be complete in all these areas. And because we, he's designed us to be the head and not the tail, there are underlining principles that we have to remember as we are preparing to see Jesus in peace. So the first thing I want you to look at, we looked at the Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, where God creates man in his image. And we look carefully and we saw that when God created man in his own image, that creation, that intent of God in creating man in his own image, that intent was a development of body, mind, and soul. We looked like God. We, we moved like God. We thought like God. Body, mind, and soul was a reflection of the person of God. And so when God made man, he made him in his own image. He made man in the image of love. And love is what had dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowls of the air, over every creeping thing that crept upon the earth. So God was in charge, but being in charge meant being in love. And being in love meant service. So it's the development of body, mind, and soul, and service for this world and for the world to come. That's what we established from the beginning. This is the original purpose in the creation of man, developing complete total, the whole being of man, body, mind, and soul, and with that, serving in this world and in the world to come. So don't miss that. Then the other thing, we, we again, we talked about the joy of service in this world and the world to come. Then we looked at the source of true education. We said, what was the source of true education? And we looked at it very carefully, 
Colossians 2, verse 3, uh, Job 12, 13. In fact, go there. Open your Bibles. Although we're reviewing, it's good to reread some of these things. Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. And we're looking at verse number 3. Colossians 2 and verse 3. It says, In whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Well, who is, who is this person that's being spoken of that has all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge? This person, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the source of all wisdom and knowledge. Are you following? And then we looked at Job 12, 13. Go to Job, the book of Job. The book of Job, chapter 12. In verse 13, in Job chapter 12 and verse 13, we read, With him is wisdom and strength. He hath counsel and understanding. So the source of wisdom is God himself. The source of wisdom embodied in person is Jesus himself, who is God. And we looked at all the lines of knowledge, whether it be math, whether it be science, whether it be history, uh, ge geometry, geography, uh, uh, whatever the subject matter is, in every line of true knowledge, that true line of knowledge finds its source in a person, Jesus Christ. So computer technology, believe it or not, the source of that technology is found in a person, Jesus Christ. You know, the Bible calls God, the wonderful numberer. He's a wonderful numberer. Where do we get the binary code? One, zero, zero, one, one, zero, 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 zero. All that comes, that line of knowledge comes from the wonderful numberer. There is no knowledge in this world that is worth keeping that is absent from God. All lines of knowledge comes from the key source, Jesus Christ. Now, the higher education. We looked at that. Again, the higher education is to know God. When you know God, my friends, this is the highest. Now, again, when we say know God, please understand, when I say that to you, it's like me saying, know my wife. Some of you may know her. Her name is Alpha. That's all you know. That, and that's the same thing that many of you know about God. That's all you know, his name. You know there's a book that has his, his information. It's called the Bible. But we don't spend time with the Bible. And if we don't spend time with Alpha, you can't know her. You can't know the Bible. You can't know God if you're not spending time with God and testing God and having an experience with God. Are you following? So when we're talking about this education, it's not simply a mental ascent to information as it is an ascent informationally and experientially with God, the person. And the thing is, if he's the source of all knowledge, and he is, then what happens with us and our interaction with him is that our intellectual capacity expands. There's a rejuvenation that takes place in the heart and the mind of the individual and the believer because the source of that knowledge is God himself. That's why, my friends, those who spend time studying their Bibles, no matter what the subject is afterwards, your capacity for understanding and learning has expanded. Therefore, uh, uh, the geometry and the calculus and all these great subjects that seem to be overwhelming actually become quite easy because you've been dealing with the expanded mind, the infinite mind of God. Now, I, I'm putting this before you, my friends, because at the end of the day, at the end of the day, when we are looking at the scripture and we're seeking to understand God's modus operandi, we must look at how he teaches and how he instructs. So a few weeks ago, and I'm going to pull this up here and I'm going to share it with you. A few weeks ago, I had developed a study guide. And in that study guide, hopefully I didn't put it to rest. In that study guide, there was a pattern that I had found that I want to share with you. And let me pull that up on my screen now. I'm going to share with you. And in that pattern, and I'll bring it up here now. All right, so you see this. 
Notice this on the screen. Do you see before the fall? Before the fall, and we, we studied this in depth, before the fall, the Garden of Eden was the classroom. We saw that in Genesis chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. God placed man east in the garden, east in the garden. There was that Garden of Eden, right? The whole world was in the Garden of Eden. There was a place that God himself had planted, if you will. In that planting of the garden, there was the first classroom. It was there, the garden school, the family school, the first one before the fall. Nature only had good in it. There was no evil in it. There were no thorns. There were no thistles. There were no... Um, you know, right now, if, if we were about to start planting in our garden, you know, we have a very short window to garden here, but we're about to start planting in our garden. And I noticed something when I started doing gardening, like there are bugs that only appear if you plant certain food. Like there are some bugs I never knew existed until I planted a certain type of food. And then when I planted that food, then these bugs came up. But you know, in the garden of Eden, there was no such thing as these type of pests that destroyed the food. It was perfect. Nature was the perfect lesson book. Why? Because in nature, you could see the perfection of the artistry and the, the intelligence of God. It was an expression of himself. Nature only had a good impression. It was a reflection of the mind of God. So it was a great lesson book. Who was the teacher? The first teacher was the creator. The first teacher was the creator. He came down in the cool of the day and would instruct Adam and Eve. Well, who were the students? Well, the first students, of course, were our parents. Unfallen Adam and Eve. They were perfect students. They listened to the instruction that heaven had to offer. But wait, stay with me on this. So before the fall, the classroom was the Garden of Eden. Nature was the first lesson book. The teacher was the creator. Can you imagine the teacher teaching about his own book? So nowadays, teachers have to use other people's books. But he had his own book, the book that he created, Nature. Boom, and he's teaching. First parents, learning at the feet of the creator. Awesome. But then we saw this after the fall. What happened after the fall? Earth where rested the curse. So now the classroom is a place that now has the effects of the curse in it. Remember in Genesis chapter 3, verse 17 through 19 and verse 23, Adam and Eve now are, are required in their experience to have hardship. And hardship was actually a necessity due to the nature having been changed. When I say the nature, I'm talking about the nature of man. Before sin, man did not need hardship in order to develop his nature. Man did not need to see sorrow or see a dying leaf or to feel any pain before sin. Sin comes in, the, 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 the pain and the struggle is now necessary because if we don't have struggle, we get comfortable in our sin. Hear me out. Hear me out. This, this becomes key, brothers and sisters. I'm going to share with you the application for our time in a moment. Or, and actually, not just for our time, but for the children of Israel. So where earth, where earth, where the curse rested, becomes the classroom. Nature now has a combination of good and evil. Not just good. Not just good. Because good would not have been enough to transform the nature of man. Man has now become fallen in its, in its being. He needs something to awaken his necessity of God. Now listen to me carefully on this because I explained this last time, um, but I want, I want you to hear me out here. Uh, we, we read an inspiration where it says God creates good and evil. And that actually troubled my mind for years until my dad explained something to me. My dad told me one time, and he explained this to me, he said, Andre, why did God put the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden? Well, he put the, knowledge, the, knowledge of, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden in order for choice to be had. Because he had, if he had no tree, Adam and Eve would have been automatons, right? They would have just did what they were told. They would have, for the most part, they would have just did what they were told. There would be no evidence of, of love. 
Because in order to love, God has to give us choice. He has to give us choice. Now, for a moment, I want you to think with me for a moment. What is the wages of sin? What are the wages of sin? Romans 3, Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is what? Death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So when someone sins, they're supposed to die. But in order, but instead of allowing man to die right away, when man sins, God says, do you like that? Wait, stay with me. I want you to think. God says, do you think this is actually beneficial? Think about this for a moment. If there was no evil or no pain, because essentially evil is this, this idea of pain and suffering. If there was no evil, if there was no pain and a man had leprosy, because leprosy deadens the nerves, right? It deadens, it deadens the senses. And if a man has leprosy and he puts his hand, he's not looking, but he, he turns away and he puts his hand on the stove. And when he, when he puts his hand on that stove, he starts smelling flesh burning. But because he has leprosy, he can't feel it but his flesh is burning. Stay with me. He can't feel it, but his flesh is burning. What's happening? Because of leprosy, it is dead in the senses. So pain actually is a blessing that helps us know that something is wrong. Are you with me? Pain Let's me know something's wrong. I don't like this condition. I need to move my foot from under this person's foot because they're crushing me. You're speaking to me in this way. It's hurtful. Pain lets you know this is not something that is good. Now, the danger would be that if the person has leprosy and they left their hand on the stove just because they don't feel the pain doesn't mean that it's not damaging. Are you following the pain is a necessity to help us understand this is wrong. Something's in the wrong place. Guilt is necessary to help us understand this is wrong. This is out of place. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the what? Life. So therefore, if you have guilt, he's able to take your guilt away. If you have pain, he's able to help you live through that pain to come to a place of peace and rest. So after the fall, good and evil are necessary for evil lets us know we don't want it. And the problem with humanity is we have not decided that we don't want evil. We want a blendation. I know I made that word up. We want a combination. We want a little bit of a yin and a yang. We want good and a little bit of bad. Or we want bad and a little bit of good. God wants us to be good. And he's trying to help us understand that there is no good in evil. Amen. So after the fall, God now has a rose grow with thorns on it. This is the lesson book. After the fall now, Woman now has pregnancies, mostly, most of the time, with pain involved. It was a necessity to help us understand a, 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 a spiritual principle in regards to this quote-unquote curse, which really is a blessing. Now, the teacher, in regards to this classroom now is the redeemer he's he was the creator before but now he's the redeemer and creator he's the teacher and the students the first students adam and eve fallen in their fallen state in their fallen state you ever seen a child and again i'm just emphasizing this point because we're going to build on something we're building we're we're reviewing right now but we're building on something you ever seen a child go to a stove and about to touch the hot stove and the mom comes by and sometimes the mom says, don't touch that. (laughs) And sometimes I will see a mother kind of like, you know, slap the hand of the child. Now the child will start crying like, but the slap of the hand was actually not as, not as bad as the touching of the stove itself, because when you touch the stove itself it's actually more detrimental. It's the same thing. God has allowed our probationary time 
for us to come to a place where we say we don't want evil no more. I mean, sincerely don't want it anymore. Sincerely have no desire for it. Now, some, when they come to that place, they take their own lives because they don't see hope. But hope is found in Jesus. Jesus actually has a plan. My friends, listen to me. Jesus has a plan. There is a plan of salvation available to all of God's children. So when you come to a place where you don't want pain and suffering and evil any longer, then you must come to understand God's plan. And God begins to illustrate this plan with the children of Israel. All right? He begins to illustrate this plan with the children of Israel. Now, let me show you the plan. Before, we, before I show you what the plan is, I want you to open your Bibles with me to the book of Exodus. Go with me to the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter... I want to say chapter 25. Go with me to Exodus chapter 25. Exodus chapter 25. And I want to read... I'm in Exodus, that's right. Exodus chapter 25. And I want to read, actually, Exodus chapter 20, forgive me. Exodus chapter 20, and I want to read verse number one. Exodus chapter 20, beginning at verse number one. The Bible says, And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of, what's it say? Of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. So now, let's start here. Remember, we're talking about the education of the chosen, true education of the chosen. Chosen. So, thou shalt. I'm, I have brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Now, bondage. What is bondage? Bondage is slavery. And in in our studies, in our studies over time, we have seen that slavery is equated to the slavery of sin. So, I want you to think in in parallel like that, right? They're in bondage. We're in sin. Both, this is what's happening. And so God then has to do something. Now, these people have been in bondage for over 400 years, okay? So if they have been in bondage for 400 years, do you not, would you not agree with me that they would have to be re-educated, right? They would have to be a re-education of the mind of these persons that have been in slavery, there would have to be a re-education. So let me show you something. I'm going to show you something. Let me, let me do this. I have a lot of, I want, to, I want to make sure that I'm making it very, very clear tonight what we are talking about. So let me do this. I want to bring up my drawing board for a moment. Let me bring my drawing board up. All right. So, just a few moments ago, we looked at before the fall. So, I'm going to write this out here. Let me get a darker color. Is there a black? Can I get a black? Maybe not. Okay, we'll just throw it a green. Black. Here we go. Before the fall. And what did we say the educational process was? Well, we knew that garden of Eden equaled the classroom. We saw the textbook, textbook was nature, right? 
we saw the teacher. Was the creator, right? And we saw the students. Were Adam and Eve. That's what we saw before the fall. When we had all the Bible verses, I showed you all the Bible verses. Let me show you this. After the fall, after the fall, we had the we had the fallen world or or fallen nature as a classroom. So the whole world, a world that instead of saying fallen world, let me use a let me let me use a different word. Instead of saying fallen world, we'll say world under curse. Okay, was the classroom textbook was nature. Good and evil. The teacher is the redeemer, redeemer, creator. And the students, fallen, Adam and Eve. Now watch what we do with this model, brothers and sisters. The children of Israel coming out of Egypt, out of the bondage of sin, where does God send them? There's no garden. He sends them into the wilderness. That's the classroom. You follow? This is, hold on, let me make a, a, a line here. Israel out of Egypt. Okay, let me make this a red line. Boom. Okay. Okay. Wilderness is the classroom. What's the textbook? Now, watch what I'm going to share with you. The textbook, of course, is the wilderness, right? But it becomes the Sanctuary. Mm. Who's the teacher? Redeemer. Creator. And priest. Okay. Who are the students? Students. Children of Israel. Now, of course, I have oversimplified this, right? Oh, you, it's kind of coming off the screen there. So the students equal the children of Israel. I've oversimplified this, but you, you still have the four main area, the classroom, the textbook, the teacher, and the students. The redeemer is the teacher, but he's teaching through the priesthood. So the priesthood is the major component of what is being taught. He's the one that's kind of speaking for God, the prophet, uh, uh, Aaron and Moses, they are talking for God, the prophetess, Miriam, talking for God. So they are the instructors. The priests are the instructors. Now, I want us to look for a moment. Let me come out of this. Let me come out of this, if it lets me come out of it. Okay, there we go. Stop sharing. So for a moment, See here, where's, here we go. For a moment, I want you to think with me for a moment. If this was God's modality for instructing the children of Israel and that this is a pattern, you'll notice that every time he's teaching his children, they are in a area that is not with a lot of people. So they're in a garden. They're in nature. They're in something that they have to use their hands. They're, they're not in 
built up cities. Now I say that, listen to me, listen to me. We're talking about education. We're talking about coming back to what God intended. So when you look at, if you go through the book of Genesis, the first parts of that, you have the line of Cain. The first builders of these cities. In fact, let me not just say it. Let's read it because we're not in a rush. I mean, we're not in a rush. Go with me to Genesis. Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. The first instance of polygamy. The first instance of building these large cities. Pay attention because we're talking about education. Genesis 4, verse 1, and Adam knew Eva's wife, and she conceived and bare Cain, and said, I've gotten a man from the Lord. And she, again, bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. Let's pass that. Uh, jump down all the way to verse number 16, okay? Genesis 4, verse 16. And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. Now, right there, you already know that's not a good sentence, Right? So Cain leaves from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived the very Enoch. This is not the Enoch that was translated. This is a different Enoch. And he builded a city. What did he do? He built a city and called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. And unto Enoch was born Arad. Arad begat Mahatjael, and Mahatjael begat Methusael, and Methusael begat Lamech. And Lamech took upon him two wives. You guys see that? So the first builder of cities was a man named Enoch. Now I find that to be interesting because the, the man that was translated without seeing death, his name was Enoch too. Two different lifestyles. If we read from inspiration, Enoch dwelled in the hills. And he went into the cities to do ministry. He didn't build a city. He went to a ministry to do, he went to the city to do ministry. Now, again, we're talking about education, being restored back to what God originally intended. Listen to me. Can I just say this? I'm going to say it. You don't have to believe it, but I am a challenging you. The purpose of moving to country areas or places where there is not as crowded is because God is seeking to draw us to himself. In a moment, I'm going to show you some things that I've been looking at, and I realize it for myself uh, that I see that I have benefited from living in this type of lifestyle. Uh, and I've neglected the benefits at times, but the more the realization has hit me these past couple, you know, these past couple of years, I've been, been asking God to really help me take advantage of it. The purpose of moving to a country area or being in a place that is not as loud, is not as crowded, is so that you can spend time analyzing yourself with God and God with you so that you can have more fellowship and communion. You know, in nature, it's instruction out here. There's teaching out here that you cannot get while you're bustling and rustling and the sirens are going and things are going on. There's a calling away from that God desires to have with his children. Adam and Eve, um, Enoch, Noah, these persons are living away from the hustle and bustle. But wait, we're going to read some things. and You're going to see what I'm saying is, is, is actually very pertinent. We're not moving to, the, to, the, to, the, to, the, to, the, to this country in order to hide. I'm not hiding from anybody. They, they see everything anyway, right? <laughs> you're not hiding from nobody. You're going there for a lifestyle, a way to live, a way to fellowship and have communion. All right, let's go a little bit further with this. So here, Genesis 4 talks about the builder of the first city was a son of Cain. Let me take you over to Genesis chapter, chapter 11 or chapter 10. Watch this. In Genesis chapter 10, there's a list of names in Genesis chapter 10. And let's start at verse 1, just, just a little bit here. It says, now these are the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, until them were sons born after the flood. The sons of Japheth, Gomer, and Magog, and Madai, and Javan, and Tubal, and Meshach, and Taurus. Okay, those are names. Jump down to verse number 5. By these were the isles of the Gentiles divided into their lands, everyone after his tongue, after their families in their nation. So this is talking about how the nations were developed, how we got all these different nations and languages and so forth. 
Okay, verse 6. And the sons of Ham, Cush and Mizram and Phut and Canaan, and the sons of Cush, Siba and Havilah, and Sapta and Rama, and Sapteca, and the sons of Rama, Sheba and Dedan. Now pay attention. Verse 8. And Cush begot Nimrod. He began to be a mighty one in the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. And that word actually means against the Lord. So I'm not sure exactly why I translated it that way. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Wherefore it said, even as Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. Again, that before actually means against. He was, he was anti-God. He was anti-Christ, if you will, in a way. Verse 10, and the beginning of his kingdom was Babel and Erech and Akkad and Kelna in the land of Shinar. And out of that land went forth Asher and builded Nineveh and the city of Rehoboth and Kala. Now, and then it says in Rizan between Nineveh and Kala, the same is a great city. Wait, so the first builder of a city is Enoch. The next time we hear about cities being built are from the lineage of Nimrod. Again, someone that's against God. Now, why am I talking about this? Because this, this lifestyle that is being perpetrated in these pagan ungodly people is the preferred lifestyle of the majority of millions in this world. And what God is trying to do, he's trying to re-educate us. So what happens when they came together in Genesis chapter 11, they built a tower. All these hundreds of thousands, yay, I don't know if there are millions or not, are building this tower into the sky so that they won't be destroyed by a flood. So you have this great congregation of people in one place in these, in these tenements, right? This is not God's plan. Listen to me. I'm telling you something so basic. I'm telling you something basic. But my brothers and sisters, we must understand God's plan in order to be properly ready for the crisis that is about to hit us full-fledged. See, he has a plan. Be out in nature. I need to educate you. I need to bring you aside. I don't need you to be staring in front of your computer all day. I need you to be in nature. I need you to be doing work in the field. Then I need you to come. You know, you can, it's been beautiful. You know, there's this idea where persons are working from home now, right? You can work at home, be with your family. You can take time off the way you want to take time off. You can, you can control your space and time when you have a certain lifestyle. When you're not trying to be the greatest, most wealthiest person in the world, you got to take care of your responsibilities. But can you take care of your responsibilities and have time for your family? Because family is actually apex importance in preparation for this final issue that's about to break upon the world. So you see the development. You say, Brother Andre, I live in a city. I don't have. Listen, that's no problem. Watch what I'm going to tell you. Watch what I'm going to tell you. There is a secret that you may, may, you may or may not know. Jesus had a life of power. And Jesus was constantly ministering and working in these cities. But he found time to get away. He found time, intentional time, to go and rest a while and be in nature and be with his father. Early in the morning, he would be in the mountains communing with his father. Take time. If you don't live in the country, just go spend a lot of time there. Go walk around the lake. Go, go be in nature, brothers and sisters. Be familiar with it. Learn. How do I plant things? Start, a, start, a, start a, you know, a little farm in your house with your bucket plants and stuff like that. Like, become a part of what God has designed as a means of your education. As a means of your education. I know what I'm saying sounds a little profound or not profound, a little strange. And I know that some of you who are listening are going to be like, it really doesn't matter. I'm telling you, the first time, my wife and I have been praying for years. I don't know if she remembers this, but we would pray every day to move to the country because we knew God's instruction in this regard. And we would pray every day, Lord, please move to the country, move to the country, move to the country, move to the country. We didn't have no money. 
And I remember when God finally answered our prayer and we moved to the country. And I remember my first night's sleep in this country area. It was sweet. Not a bunch of noise. Quiet. And I know some people don't like it quiet, you know? You know why? Because when it's quiet, you may hear that still small voice that you've been avoiding. When it's quiet, you can hear God talk to you. Be still and know that I am God. Sometimes we're so busy that we can't hear. Be quiet. Listen. Turn off the sermons. Turn off the TV. Turn off all the distractions. Turn off the music. Be still. There's nothing like going out in nature, brothers and sisters, quietly and alone and just talking out loud to God. I've done that so many times. It's so great. I encourage you. Spend time. Now, I wanted to show you this for my time is like almost gone. Can you imagine that? That's crazy. So let me, sh let me show you this. I want to show you something. And this is, hmm, see if I can pull it up. Yes. This is, let me share my screen. If I can find the share screen. Okay. Share my screen. It's going to be on my second screen. And I'm going to go ahead and pull this up on my second screen right, right now. Okay. All right. You guys can see that. Hopefully you can see that. This is a picture, a video of what is perceived as the encampment of Israel. Uh, everything in Israel was perfectly arranged. Like there was no... Okay, yeah. I'll, I'll explain that in a minute. So there was no, there was no, uh, see the sanctuary here? Beautiful. So it, here, here in the sanctuary, there's uh, order, perfect order. There's the outer court. That's what you call the altar of sacrifice right there, the altar of sacrifice. And then you have the laver, right? The laver, that's where they used to wash their hands before they went into the sanctuary, make sure everything was nice and clean and clear. And then you went to the holy place. And in the holy place, you had uh, the table of shoe bread, two stacks there. And then you had the candlesticks. Beautiful, shining there. Beautiful. And then you have also the altar of incense. An altar of incense is a, and each one of these pieces of furniture uh, tell us a, a part of the plan of salvation. Here you have the Ark of the Covenant. This is where God's presence would ultimately dwell right there in the very presence in in the very most holy place and then inside the ark was the, the ten commandments aaron's rod that budded and the aaron's uh, aaron's rod that budded and the pot of manna now i share i share that with you my friends because this was the template that god was using for israel as their textbook to better understand God. Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. God has every intent to be with his creation and to be with his children. So let me say it again in a different way. When, I, when I'm suggesting this, and I'll say it, I'm, I'm going to say it slowly so everybody can follow this. When God made Adam and Eve, he put them in a garden. That classroom was instructional so that they could know God. That makes sense? When God had the fall of man, God takes Adam and Eve and puts them in the garden, but now the garden has good and evil in it. And it's not the perfect textbook because evil, God doesn't really want us to know evil because that's not what he intended. But now that we have it, he uses it as a means of helping us better understand who he is. And why we don't want to deal with sin. Like sin brings death and destruction and pain and sorrow. When God is re-educating Israel, 
He doesn't take them and put them in a city. God takes Israel and puts them in a wilderness. And it's in that wilderness that God begins to instruct Israel in regards to who he is. And he uses, and let me pull up another picture so you can see it. He uses mm, this one. He uses what we call, I'll put it up here. He uses what we call the sanctuary, this model. This is what he uses. All of this is about him. Every piece of furniture is about him. In fact, let me show you this. Let me go backwards. This is another picture of it. All this is about him. This altar sacrifices, this, this, this labor here, this tabernacle here, all this is about him. All this is telling you about Jesus. In fact, I'm not going to go into detail tonight. I just wanted to give you a quick overview, but let me go back. Let me show you something. Oops. Let me show you this. You see that right there? What is that, guys? Tell me what it is. That's a refrigerator, right? Everybody knows a refrigerator. Now, if I were to say that a refrigerator, where would you think, what room normally is the refrigerator in? And if you said the kitchen, you would be right. If some of you said the bedroom, that might be right if you live in a dorm, right? <laughs> so if you live in a dorm, you might have a little refrigerator in there or a hotel room, might be a refrigerator in there. But normally in a house, a refrigerator goes inside of a kitchen. What about this? Toilet. Now, most times, toilets are in the bathroom. But sometimes people have a, a, a one flat you know, so the bathroom, the kitchen, the, everything's in one room, right? But most of the time, if I said bathroom, you would tell me, Andre, that that toilet is in the bathroom. So the furniture tells me what the purpose of the room is. Are you following? If I said refrigerator, you would say kitchen. If I said toilet, you would say bathroom. If I said bed, you would say bedroom and then what do you normally do in the bedroom for most people we sleep in bedrooms okay so this this the furniture tells you the purpose of the room now i'm going to go quickly meaning i'm going to give you a quick overview and then on our next study next monday we're going to go in greater detail like i'm going to actually spend time and go through all the text but watch what i'm going to show you this is the altar of burnt offerings in the Bible, they would bring a lamb and the lamb would be slain on this burnt offering. The application of this is very simple. Jesus was taken to the cross and he died there on the cross, a symbol of sacrifice. He sacrificed in reality. The altar is a symbol. Jesus dies in reality. But also this altar represents us, we give ourselves as a living sacrifice, according to Romans 12, verse 1. So Christ, he sacrificed, and then we, our experience is that we are to give ourselves as a sacrifice. Follow that? Again, this is going to be a quick. The bronze laver, what is the bronze laver symbol of? Well, with Christ, it was a symbol of his death, burial, and resurrection. Again, we can look at the verses very specifically in the next study. But it also represents, in reality, not just his death, burial, and resurrection, it also represented his baptism. Because his baptism was a symbol of his death, burial, and resurrection. So I'm assuming that you would understand that this applies to us. How so? Because we ourselves are to be baptized, and we ourselves are to be renewed and regenerated and we are new creatures in Christ. Are you following? Can you, can you see how God took the people of God, put them in the wilderness, gave them this illustration, this textbook, if you will, and as this textbook is, is, is demonstrated before the people of God every day, he is actually teaching them about the plan of salvation. 
golden candlesticks. Well, that's in the holy place. What is it a symbol of? Well, Jesus, when he came on this planet, he was the light of the world. He, he was the representation of everything that God was or is. Also, it represents Jesus as high priest, ministering in the midst of his church. But do you know what else this symbolizes, believe it or not? These candlesticks represent the church. It represents the church as witnesses, going out, ministering, and talking, and ex explaining the gospel. This was the illustration in the midst of Israel every day, every day, teaching, instructing about who? God. Why talk about God? Because he's the source of all wisdom. He's the source of all might. He's the source of all peace. He's the source of all love. He is everything to us. Notice. Table of shoe bread. Well, that, what does that talk about? Jesus said himself, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Jesus equated himself with bread. And when Jesus taught, he was breaking bread. Not only did he give literal bread, but he broke spiritual bread before the children of Israel. He was a great teacher. What is he doing in heaven? He's a minister of that bread. He's a minister of his, of, of his presence in the midst of us. Remember Jesus said in John 6, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you would have no part in me. That sounds like cannibalism. And those who were thinking with their carnal minds missed the whole point. Jesus was instructing in regards to taking in the bread of life, taking in his word. And as high priest, he ministers that word to us even today. You know, this very act of me sharing with you is an act of the Holy Ghost through working through me to share with you. And if you're understanding, he's giving you the understanding. That's the word. That's bread. We're eating bread. You follow? That's the study of God's word. That's the application to that. And there's a little bit more. Again, not going into great detail at the moment. But what about the altar of incense? Well, Jesus interceded for us. John 17, he's praying the prayer that he prays in the most holy place right now, praying the prayer of unity for the brethren that we would come together, not, not just coming together to hang out, but coming together. And the only way to come together is come to closer and closer to Jesus until there's nothing between us and him. And as we press together to Jesus, that's how we come into unity. We can't just come together without coming to Jesus. We need to come to Jesus. And let me tell you something. When we come to Jesus, there's going to be a lot more crying and a lot more repentance and a lot more asking for forgiveness, for our arrogancy, for our pride, for our hatefulness to each other. It's going to be a lot more pressing together and asking God to forgive us for not doing what we have been called to do all these years. That pressing together, brothers and sisters, is going to be a humbling experience. But that's what he's praying for. Even now, for unity, he's interceding for us. And as he intercedes for us, we are to intercede for others. That's all these pieces of furniture are only telling us what the work is to be done in that place. Just like the bathroom, that's where you do your thing. Just like the kitchen, that's where you cook your food and store your food. So it is with these pieces of furniture. It tells us what we are supposed to be doing today. And it tells us what he has done and is doing for us today. What about the Ark of the Covenant? Well, the Ark of the Covenant takes us right into the most holy place. What is it that he wants to tell us there? Let me tell you this. Our Lord right now in the most holy place is making final atonement. What do you mean final atonement? I thought the cross was final atonement. Listen to me. The cross solidified the reality that the devil is doomed. <laughs> but watch this. But the work in the most holy place solidifies the manifestation of the doom of the devil in the midst of his people. In other words, God's going to do a thing in his church that will demonstrate the power of what was done on the cross in such a marked manner that at the end of the day, the devil and all his angels and all the followers of the evil one are going to say, surely the Lord is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue will confess. And my friends, we haven't studied this yet. But we're living in a very special time where he, God himself, is writing his law in our hearts. 
In fact, he is setting up an eternal kingdom. And as he's setting up that kingdom, my friends, you and I must come in concert with him. But let me tell you something. We got all of that from the wilderness tabernacle that God set up in the midst of Israel to teach and instruct them in the plan of salvation. The work of education is to bring us to know God. The work of education and redemption are one. The work of education and redemption are one. Know God. Well, how do I know God? Spend time in his word. What should I study? The sanctuary. How do I study it? I just walked you through it. You can do it again until it resonates clearly in your mind. In fact, my friends, believe it or not, as quickly as I did that, you know what I just did? I went over 6,000 years of the plan of salvation in a few short moments. I showed you the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, the intercession of Christ, the glorification of Christ. And as Christ does his thing above, he will do his work in us below. The question is, what kind of education are you receiving? Let me back up. You know why you want to move to the country? Shut out the noise. To be alone with God. To learn what it is to put your hand in the ground. To learn what it is to be with him. Now, again, in another study, I will share with you that there's a time when you won't, you won't be able to buy or sell. That they will literally close stores. There will be curfews. Anybody paying attention? <laughs> there will be times when literally, my friends, you will have to either obey and receive the mark of the beast or you're not going to eat. But we're told that those who follow true education, when they live in uh, country-type areas, they will live like kings and queens during that time frame. When I say kings and queens, I'm not talking about, like, arrogant. I'm talking about they will have their provisions during that time frame, during that little time of extreme stress and, and trouble. And we had a little taste of it just recently, my friends. Just a, just a taste of it. But there's coming a time when it's going to be more strict and more stringent and the uh, People that have followed God's plan of education will come into that time understanding what to do, knowing how to live in simplicity and hearing and communing with God and with angels during that time frame. The question is, are you willing to allow God to re-educate you? I promise you, the devil wants to do everything in his power to distract you from spending time with Jesus. He wants you to work so much that you have no time for God. He wants you to be so consumed with your bills that you can't think of anything else. I've seen it. I've experienced it. And I realize I'm paying, I'm, I'm realizing more and more God's way is so much better. I can wake up when I want to, and I want to wake up early. I can go to work when I want to. I can go work in, my, in the garden. I work in my field. I work in, I, there's a way to live that is conducive to the full development. And again, I say, if you do live in a city, praise the Lord. You can be a witness where you are, but pray and ask God, Lord, if you can guide me to a place where I can be in a country type setting, where I can live and commune in a close fellowship with you, show me the way. And then when you get there, you got, it's going to be a re-education because it's not like a life that you're used to living. But while you are where you are, you can practice living as if you were there. What do I mean? Well, if you live in the country, you can't drive to the store every single solitary day. Like that would be a waste of gas. So what, what, what does that make you do? It makes you plan and organize and systematize, right? There's a way to live where you can spend more time with God. That's what we should be asking. Lord, how can I spend more time with you? How can I be more of a witness for you? How can I do this, Father? Show me how. And I'm giving you just a little bit tonight. I can't tell you everything. But I'm giving you what I can. Brothers and sisters, I'm hoping you're understanding what I'm sharing with you. I know it's a lot. But we're, we're, this is a process. We're not just going to wake up one day and just be ready for translation. That's not how it's going to be. Every day, deeper and yet deeper and still deeper with God. That's what we want. Every day, I just want more of Jesus, more time spent with him, 
God called his children and said, come, rest a while. Come away from your crazy schedule. Rest a while. I can only imagine. Though some have seen this, this uh, stay-at-home order as a negative thing. And yes, to a great degree, financially, it's hurt, it's hurt us as a ministry. I understand that. But to a great degree, my friends, if God's people were paying attention, this, this has given them more time to study their Bible. It's given them more time to study the word. It's making them more aware, like, yo, everything's not going to keep going like it's been going. Things are not just going to keep being like they are. God's children have to come in line with the true function and purpose of education. I'm going to read something to you. Let's see if I can pull it up real fast and call it a night. I want to read a couple of passages to you from the Bible. Deuteronomy 32, Deuteronomy 32, verses 10 through 12. It says, he found himself in a, in a desert land and in the waste howling wilderness. He led him about, he instructed him, he kept him as the apple of his eye. As an eagle stirreth up her nest, fluttereth over her young, spreadeth about her wings, taketh them, beareth them on her wings. So the Lord alone did lead him, and there was no strange God with him. Deuteronomy 32, 10-12. What's that referring to? The children of Israel. God's referring to Israel as, as a singular body, as him. God is with his people. Psalms 105. 42 to 45. Psalms 105, 42 to 45. The Bible says, He remembered his holy promise and Abraham his servant, and he brought forth his people with joy and his chosen with gladness and gave them the lands of the heathen, and they inherited the labor of the people that they might observe his statutes and keep his, what's it say? Keep his Laws. So God literally took them out of Egypt, put them away from the world in order to re-instruct or re-educate them to follow his laws and his statutes. That's why we're coming away into the country settings, to learn of God. To learn of God. That was Psalms 105, 42 to 45. I'm going to read a couple of verses here to you. This, uh, this one's coming from Deuteronomy 26, 19. And Deuteronomy 28.10, it says, and this actually this is a, a comment before the quote. It says, God surrounded Israel with every facility, gave them every privilege that would make them an honor to his name and a blessing to the surrounding nations. If they would walk in the ways of obedience, he promised to make them high above all nations, which he hath made in praise and in name and in honor. That's Deuteronomy 26, 19. Deuteronomy 28, 10. All people of the earth, he said, shall hear that thou art called by the name of the Lord, and they shall be afraid of thee. End quote. The nations which shall hear of the statutes shall say, Deuteronomy 4, 6, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. So what did God want to do? What did God want to do? God wanted, God wanted his children. Listen to me. When you look at the sanctuary and God is dwelling, his physical presence is in that sanctuary. That is the same thing God wants to do with us. He literally, God's presence, his Holy Ghost wants to dwell in these, this tabernacle. So that when the nations of the earth look at us, they will see the glory of God emanating from us. His law written in our hearts, not so we can be saved, but because we are saved, he writes that law in our hearts and in our minds. The education of the chosen requires us to make some hard choices. And if you're not in the country now, that's fine. Pray and ask God to get you to a place where you are. But even if you don't get there right away, ask the Lord to give you a mindset 
that reflects the reality of communion and fellowship with him. Unbroken fellowship. Listen to me, friends. Can I say this? I can say it because you guys can't stop me. <laughs> I desire, and it's my, the prayer of my heart, the prayer of my soul, everything that I am, I want unbroken fellowship, unbroken communion. The enemy's had too much time with me. And I'm asking God to teach me how to love him because it's, it's not as, it's easy, but it's not easy. It's easy, but it's not as easy because self doesn't want to die. You know what I mean? I, I don't know if anybody else is feeling what I'm saying, but self doesn't want to die. Self wants to stay alive. Self wants to do what it does. But God has a plan. And as we know him, then we fully know who we are. And we grow more and more into the likeness of what God designed us originally to be. So when we step into a place, we are a blessing everywhere we go. Everything we touch, we reflect the reality of what God wants for us. Oh, Lord, teach me how to have unbroken fellowship with you. Father, teach us how to have this unbroken fellowship. How to subdue the flesh. Teach us how to have the transformed mind, Father. Teach us how to behold and have unbroken beholding of your dear son. That the reality of the gospel can be seen in us. That the world can truly know that there are people that really do love you, Lord. Please, Lord. You see us, you know us, there's nothing hid from your eyes. So we're not going to run away, no matter how bad we are. But we trust and believe that you can change us, Father. And we submit our thoughts and feelings to you even now. I pray for those who are listening now, those who will listen in the future. I pray, Father, that at the end of the day, this will spark a desire and a passion to love you more than anything else in this world. We pray this in the name of Jesus, and we claim the merits of his holy and most precious blood. Amen. Amen. My friends, thank you so much for joining us this evening. Um, the Lord is good. I will, if you are on tomorrow, tomorrow night we're dealing with family, relationships, so you don't want to miss that. Uh, I encourage you to come on. The more we study, the more we fellowship, the more we commune with God, the deeper, the more abiding the less likely that the enemy can rip us away from our, from our love, which is Jesus Christ, the righteous. So I encourage you, study your word. Encourage others to come, join us. Uh, again, we're studying tomorrow night, 6.30, and on Wednesday as well. God bless you. You have a blessed, blessed evening. You have a good night.